Good morning, good morning. How is the new year going, brothers and sisters? Thumbs up or thumbs down? All right, thumbs up. I would say the same. I would say the same. If you have a Bible, the Word of Life, if you would open it to Luke chapter 11, we'll be in 14, uh, verses 14 to 23 today. The name of the message, or the title of the message, is The Source of Jesus' Power. The Source of Jesus' Power. That will be questioned uh, today by his critics uh, as he continues his ministry uh, among, the, um, among the Israelites and among the dirt roads and the synagogues and all the different places that Jesus travels. Also remember as we begin this new year that Parkway Baptist Church is a church that is driven by the Word of God, transformed by the Spirit of God, and sent by the Son of God to make disciples of all nations. That is our vision statement that defines by which everything we try to do here so where we have been, for those of you that may be, we've got some guests in the audience today. Thank the Lord. Thank you so much for being here at Parkway Baptist today. So I hope that, um, I hope you will sense God's presence. And when you leave this place, you will know more about the Bible and know more about God than before you came. That's the whole purpose of coming here is worshiping him and learning more. Amen, Parkway? That's why we come? Amen. So what we do here is we go through whole books of the Bible. And so we have been in the Gospel of Luke uh, for a while now, and we have come to the point today where we are at Luke 11, verses 14 through 23. I normally try to backtrack just a touch um, to reposition us in the text. And so if you just, I use the ESV, and so my, my Bible, the ESV, one of the reasons why I love the ESV is that it has uh, parenthetical breaks uh, in the themes, uh, in the different places in ministry that Jesus does. And it helps me to keep it straight in my mind. Uh, it's learning the Word of God and staying on top of the Scripture and theology is a, is a life's calling. Uh, it's not something that you do one time and it's all over. Salvation is a one-time experience, but then that sets you on a process called sanctification that takes your entire lifetime until God calls you home. Learning the Word of God and learning theology is, is very similar. Uh, you have to stay in the Word of God. You need to stay in a local church that preaches the truth. You need to be surrounded by Christian friends that hold you accountable and walk with you uh, in love and in grace. And so as we look at the Word of God, um, just to back up a little bit, we see the parable of the Good Samaritan. We saw that uh, famous story that Jesus told uh, in chapter 10, verse 25. Then we came to this scene where we have Martha and Mary uh, in Bethany, and my hunch would be that we are still somewhere, uh, somewhere in that vicinity around the Bethany area, which was just a few miles outside of, of Jerusalem when the uh, triumphal entry happened. Then we spent a couple of Sundays in the Lord's Prayer. Then Christmas season hit, and we spent some time with the Christmas story and other things. Uh, but we, we spent some time in the Lord's Prayer looking at that. That was a wonderful time of edification for me. I hope it was for you. And now... We dive into this new year, this, um, this scene where we see Jesus more or less confronted by the people that have been following him. Luke kind of gives it a general feel that this is just people that are following him. Matthew gives us a little bit more and tells us specifically that these were Jewish leaders that have accused him uh, by doing his works by the power of Satan. He uses a term called Beelzebul, and we'll talk about that. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's a controver this, is a, this is a controversial moment in the life of Jesus. And what you will find throughout the Gospels, okay, is that they show an increasing hostility toward Jesus 
throughout the Gospels as he approaches Jerusalem for Passover week and is crucified. The one thing that Jesus, this is not feel good preaching, the one thing that Jesus has told us time and time again, and the one thing that he prepared his disciples, his 12 and those in the, the extended group that followed him was to be prepared for persecution when you follow Christ. I know that's not something you wake up every morning wanting to hear. But the fact of the matter is that if you are trying to walk in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ and you are trying to conform your life to his word and to his will, you are going to encounter resistance from the world. Amen? And that's what we see in Jesus. We see resistance from the world and we will see resistance right here. The very ones, the very ones the religious authority of the day that should have known the scriptures better than anybody or rather the heart of the scriptures more than anyone are the very ones, the majority of them, that will spend every waking moment of their lives trying to figure out how to outsmart him, how to entrap him, and how ultimately to get him silenced and if they can't silence him, to have him killed. The Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. So join me in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Wow, that had, to, that had to burn. Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God, that's an Exodus reference, by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. There are some differences in Matthew I want to give you right out of the shoot. Just, just, just three. There's one big one, but uh, the... Uh, the, the, the sin against the Holy Spirit, that comes later in Luke. and it's, it's here in Matthew, but I'm gonna wait until that comes in Luke to cover that. But the three differences I want you to see, number one, was that Matthew says that the man was not only mute, but what else was he? He was blind. So he was blind and mute. And Matthew also gives us that the people said, can this be the son of David? That's significant. 
Who knows why Luke leaves this stuff out? He chooses what he chooses to write. We, 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 scholars have tried to figure it. We, we just, we don't, we don't know why. The Spirit put what he put, put in Luke, and the Spirit put what he look at, took, put in Matthew, and I accept it. Amen? Amen. And then the Pharisees, Matthew identifies the Pharisees are the ones that accuse Jesus of wielding the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons, and then others kept testing him for a sign from heaven. Now, exorcism is something that, that Jesus does regularly in, in the Gospels, regularly. I mean, from the very onset of his ministry, he is expelling demons all, all the time. Even in the small summary statements where he said, and many signs and wonders were done by Jesus and he expelled unclean spirits. I mean, there, there's no telling how many exorcisms Jesus performed while he was here in the flesh. Three in particular here in Luke, just to, just to give you a little taste of, of Luke's testimony to this. Luke 4.33, this is at the synagogue in Capernaum. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And Jesus expelled him. Luke 8.33, the Gerasene demoniac that named himself or called himself Legion, meaning there were probably thousands of demons in this man. Jesus commanded the demons to come out, and then the demons themselves requested to go where? Do you remember? Into the pigs. Then the pigs rushed into the water and drowned. And then Luke 9.37, the boy in Capernaum that was seized by the demonic spirit, the disciples had tried to expel this unclean spirit, demonic spirit and had failed, and Jesus comes and expels the spirit. So we clearly see, clearly see that one of the outbreakings or inbreakings of the kingdom of God into this world that is a testimony to Christ's ministry as well is Jesus having sovereignty over evil spirits, able to cleanse humanity from indwelling satanic demons. It's powerful stuff, powerful stuff. Also remember in Luke chapter four, when Jesus read from the synagogue that same episode where he was a hometown boy that came right after the temptation, and he goes to his hometown, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, the scroll is handed to him, and he reads, and he reads from Isaiah 61, and from that reading, we get the holistic view of what Luke will take his entire gospel expounding on, seeing how Christ has fulfilled the Isaiah passage. Isaiah passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's our Jesus, amen? That's him, that is the Savior that we serve. That is the, the God that dwells in our hearts, is a God of freedom. He is a God that wants to free you from evil oppression. He wants to set you free and give you purpose for your life. And everybody in here says what? <laughs> and if you haven't experienced that, you may not know Christ, because that is certainly what he does to us when we come to know him. 
Verse 14, Christ frees the oppressed from evil. Very simple point, very simple, simple passage. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute, and Matthew tells us he's also blind. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. We would assume he also saw based on what Matthew said. And the people marveled, and then some said, can this be? Can this be the son of David? This event seems to come suddenly and without warning. We are at the end of the Lord's prayer. We have seen these, these neat things happen with Martha and Mary, and we see the parable of the Good Samaritan. There seems to be no demonic activity, and then as soon as the Lord's prayer is over, wham, we have, we have a demonic possession. What that says to me and what I have, what has proven true in my own experience is that Satan will always present himself and attack when spiritual progress is being made. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? Is that when there is finally spiritual progress, when you see spiritual breakthroughs, many times that is when Satan throws you the best that he's got. And I believe that is what we see. I mean, that's what Satan does. That's many times, and this may sound very strange, but that's why many times I am encouraged when satanic attacks come. You know why I'm encouraged when satanic attacks come? Because I know, by golly, I must be doing something right, amen? Because he wouldn't pay me any notice. He wouldn't pay our church any notice. If we weren't rattling his cage, he's not gonna send his emissaries to, to mess with us. He's gonna leave us alone. This particular demon made people mute and blind. Imagine that. Imagine being possessed by an evil spirit that made you mute and blind. To not be able to speak or see. So they could not see and were not able to tell people what was wrong or ask them for help. So this type of demon possession made them completely and totally imprisoned by satanic oppression. This man was helpless and made a social outcast. Social outcast. There's no way to, to know how long or whether he could once talk. We, we simply don't know. What we do know is that the man was blind and mute and Christ expelled the demon from him and the man was able to speak and see. And the reaction was, as the reaction is most of the time when Jesus does things, that the people around him marvel. Just in wonder and awe, what is this? What is this? What are we to make of this incredible thing that Jesus has done? And always remember this, that just because somebody is marveling or because a bunch of people marvel does not always mean there's going to be a positive result from that marveling. Sometimes marveling causes disbelief. Sometimes marveling causes anger. Sometimes marveling causes the desire to have more evidence. Sometimes marveling does cause belief. But in this case, we see a mixed bag. Matthew tells us that the man was blind and mute, and that when Christ healed him, he was able to see and speak, and those witnessed it proclaimed, can this be the son of David? Now, why, why would they say that? I, I just love this little nugget of treasure. This, this is a, a theological nugget of treasure that is woven all the way through the Gospels at one time or another, 
And, it, and, it, and if you don't see the, the, the beauty in this, and if this doesn't embolden your faith and make you love the Bible even more, you need to study the Bible more because it does for those of us that understand it. When he says those words, when the people say, could this be the son of David, they are hearkening back, way back in the Old Testament to the time of the monarchy of David. When Nathan gave him a promise from God that said, one day you shall have a son. And this son will be on your throne, how long? Forever. When your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for you. This is, this is God talking to David. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdoms, jump down to verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And obviously, obviously, this covenant, this promise cannot be filled by just a mortal man. This had to be some type of divine, divine human being that was immortal, that could live forever to be on David's throne. And so when they see Jesus heal this man and expel this demon and his, and his voice is returned and his sight is returned, they think, can this be the moment that we've been waiting for? Can this be the son of David? That's why they said that. So Christ frees the oppressed from evil. Verse 15. But some of them, Matthew tells us it was the Pharisees, said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Now this, this Beelzebul, I, I have heard that term all of my life in the church. What's the other term that you've heard a lot? Beelzebub, right? Beelzebul, Beelzebub, both, both interchangeable. It's a little difficult to track it down it is, I've got a couple things for you here to write down so you can, you can leave here hopefully understanding a little bit better like I did after this study. But, but, but who is this Beelzebul? Well, we have not heard that name yet in the Gospel of Luke and you won't hear it outside of the Gospels. We are exposed to it in Luke a few chapters ago when the Zebedee brothers wanted to call down fire on Samaria. Do you remember that event? When the Zebedee brothers went, they told Jesus to pass on by, didn't want to have anything to do with him, so they went and told Jesus, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire on the Samaritans? And Jesus said, no. Well, you have to know the backstory to that. And the backstory to that is in 2 Kings chapter 1. I should read you a summary statement right quick. During the reign of King Ahaziah of Samaria, the king had a serious fall and sustained life-threatening injuries. He wanted to seek out a divine answer to whether he would live or die, so he sent out messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. So as the story goes, on the way to find Beelzebub, they meet Elijah and ask the same question. Elijah rebukes them for requesting information from Baal and not the true God of Israel and sent them back to the king with the news that the king would die from the injuries. Was he happy with that report? No, he was not happy with that report. The king then sent three waves of soldiers to request Elijah to see the king. 
Elijah called down fire and consumed the first two waves, and the third humbled themselves before God, and God instructed Elijah to go with him to the king. When Elijah appeared before the king, he told him the exact same message. And what was that message? You're going to die. And the king died. So Beelzebul, Beelzebub, Names that were given to a pagan fertility god in the land of Canaan that would be transferred over into the New Testament as a name for Satan's lead demon. So you could either consider Satan the prince of demons or Beelzebul. And always remember this. When the truth is preached and Christ is present, there will be Two to three reactions. Two to three reactions. You will have unbelief and rejection blinds the eyes of those that reject him. Some will go so far as accuse the activity as satanic, which is what we see here. You will have conditional acceptance. Give us another sign, like, did that really just happen? We need to see more evidence before we can believe. Or genuine belief, which is the most rare, believe it or not. So let's look at unbelief and rejection. So the highest spiritual authority of that time, the Pharisees, Jewish leadership, accuse their true Messiah as operating and commanding the power of demons to cast out a blind, mute Demon. He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. He wields the power of Satan. That takes deep-seated, blinding hatred. Do you realize that? Deep-seated, blinding hatred. Clearly, this was not the case. Satanic power brings harm, not good Chaos, disorder, death, destruction, lies. He is described as a thief and a murderer. He brings the enemy. Satan brings blindness, deafness, tormenting spirits. These are evidence of the fall and the power of the evil one, not the Christ. Not the Christ. The Spirit and the Father, our God, brings peace. Can you amen that? Healing, freedom, goodness, loving discipline, the only time bondage is mentioned in that form is in terms of being in bondage to righteousness, Paul says. We, instead of a slave to sin, we are now a slave to righteousness. Obviously, Jesus is not wielding the power of Satan. Conditional acceptance, they see what happens. They don't immediately reject it, but they want to follow up, they want to follow up miracle or some form of additional evidence before they can fully accept what they have seen. They kept asking him for a sign from heaven. I mean, that doesn't seem too unreasonable, right? I mean, until you think for a second and realize by this time in Christ's ministry, there had been ample evidence provided in multiple ways that he is undoubtedly the Messiah promised from God, not to mention the fact, what did he just do? He just gave him a sign. He gave this mute man his voice back and gave him his sight back. He's done it all. He's just freed a man from demonic possession that made him blind and mute. That man couldn't speak or see. And after Christ exercised his power over him, he got everything back. That should have been evidence enough. 
Now, let me give you a little encouragement. Most of us today, we haven't seen anything like that, have we? I mean, I haven't seen somebody that couldn't speak get their speech back or somebody that was blind have their sight returned back in some miraculous way. I'll wait the day. I would love to see that happen. But I have yet to see that happen. But yet, what do we all do? We believe, do we not? John says, blessed are you because you have not seen and believed. But others constantly question him and accuse him of evil. You know, standing for righteousness, which is what Jesus is doing, will cause that today. It will cause accusation today. It will cause trouble today. Stand for the truth and call out lies and hold people accountable and watch people criticize and scandalize. You know, Paul dealt with that. One of the, one of the passages in the Bible that I, I, have, I, that I absolutely love, the, the, the churches of Galatia, The churches of Galatia, Paul went there, preached the gospel. Obviously, some mighty movement of the Spirit happened. Just hundreds of people got saved. And then slowly after that, they began to add to to it works righteousness. And he was mortified. Mortified. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus adhering to the law. Jesus plus works. He was like, may it never be so. It is anathema. Even if an angel from heaven preaches that. Don't listen to that. What he says, he says, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. How then have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? That is what Jesus is doing and that is what the church of Jesus Christ does is we tell the truth. I mean, is it that hard to hear, accept, believe, and conform your life to the truth? to accept that Jesus Christ truly is the Savior and wants to save you and bring you into the kingdom of God? For many, it is. For many, that is extremely hard. And for many of the Pharisees back then and for many of the Pharisees today, they were blinded by their anger and their disbelief and their hatred of Jesus Christ and the goodness that he wielded among the people. Jealousy, just jealousy. So we have unbelief and rejection, we have conditional acceptance, and then we have genuine belief. Now, we're not told of any in this passage that we, that we can see. We're not told of that. So let's move on. Verse 17, Christ confronts, Christ confronts these warped minds. That's what they are, they're warped minds. Verse 17, but he knowing their thoughts, that ought to scare you half to death, amen? You do know that, right? Jesus knows everything you think and everything you do. You do know that, right? Before it happens, actually. That's, that's like an amazing thing to think about. And I can go one step further. Not only does he know about it, if the Bible is true, and I believe it is, he says before the foundation of the world, before this whole thing was started, he knew every, every thought, every person was gonna have, every action, every sin, every single thing. How you like that? Yeah, it's kind of scary. I agree, but it's true. But the Bible says, don't take it up with me, take it up with the scripture. Christ confronts their warped minds, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges 
But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Confronting, confronting these warped minds. Some of my best memories in my life were when people, loving people, confronted me in my warped way of thinking. It was just, I remember them like it was yesterday. You may share one I'm with you. Angie's going, no, don't, 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 don't. Like the day I wanted to, to, to play the Eagles for youth group once I become saved and was like started off as a youth minister, as a, like a volunteer youth minister. And my guy, my, the guy that was training me, he said, so what songs do you have lined up for, for tonight, Shelby? And I said, well, I thought I would play some Eagles and some Van Halen and maybe some ACDC. And he just shook his head and looked down. He said, no, no, Shelby, no, 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 no. This has to be Christian music. He said, I understand that that's, that was the old you and I understand that you don't understand that. Okay, but coming from you, coming from the, the, the volunteer youth minister at the church at an organized youth event, we don't need to be playing secular music that glorifies sex, that glorifies all this other stuff and all this sin. It's gotta be spiritual music that glorifies Jesus and glorifies holiness. I will never forget that as long as I live. Did I try to sneak in a Van Halen song every now and then? No, I did not. I was scared to death of Wayne Pinkerton and scared to death of God, so I did not do that. So Christ confronts their warped mind, knows their thoughts, and confronts them. So the first thing he hits at is, is does Satan destroy his own work? So if this is a demon possession and I am able to expel this demon out of this man, and you say that I'm working by the power of Beelzebul, I don't think that fits because Satan is not gonna go to civil war against his own kingdom. So that doesn't fit. This man was possessed by a mutant blind demon and had this man's spirit and body completely oppressed. That is the fruit of his work. I freed him from oppression, returned his sight and his ability to speak. I reversed the curse set upon him. Kingdoms do not last if they plummet into civil war and become divided against itself. By nature, if this happens and does not stop, the kingdom will slowly cannibalize itself to where there is nothing left. We see that, we saw that happen to Israel. Israel was a divided nation. I mean, he even says, every kingdom divided against itself laid waste and a divided household fails, falls. I mean, we know that. We know that. I grew up in a, in a divisive home. I mean, I, I saw that with my own eyes. Many of you have experienced that. When a home is divided, it falls. When a kingdom is divided, it falls. It cannibalizes itself and destroys itself, and that's Jesus' point. If I'm really using the power of Beelzebul, I'm gonna increase that demon's power and possession and bring control on him, not free him from the oppressive spirit. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, if this is how Satan builds his kingdom, one demon doing the work of possessing, then another coming to reverse the work, the kingdom is divided, and it will not stand. Satan's demons obey him and carry on his work. They don't work against him. They work for him and with him. That's Jesus' point. Then he says, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Man, that had to make them hate him or just love him to death, amen? 
So if I, as a Jewish-born son of God, cast out demons by Beelzebul, then by what power do your sons cast them out? So what he's basically saying is, do the local Jewish exorcists also operate by the power of Beelzebul? Go ask your sons about that and see what they say. It's kind of what he puts on them. So the point of that is, is what the opponents say about Jesus, they must accept for anyone else who does the same thing, their sons. Because we know there was exorcism in, in, in Israel. We know that. And so if they're exercising people or exercising people, then I am, it's got to be by the same power because we're all fighting evil together. Another part of this, uh, many believe, is that he is saying that at some point in the future that their own sons that are exercising, expelling demons out of people will actually stand over their unbelief, those Pharisees' unbelief at the eschatological end of times. That's tough. But, Jesus says, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, now this, I, 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 at first reading, you'll pass right over that pew, and won't think a thing about it. But if you go back and read the Bible, it will blow your mind what Jesus is doing right here. Go to, in Exodus, you don't have to go there to take a while, but Exodus uh, chapter eight, listen to this. This is when the plagues are happening. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All of the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Well, the magicians, remember that? The magicians trying to, trying to outdo Moses and Aaron? Well, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but guess what? They couldn't do it. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians go to Pharaoh, and the magicians tell Pharaoh this. This is the finger of God. So what is Jesus telling all those Pharisees? That the Egyptians, the Egyptian magicians back in the days of Pharaoh saw God's power and realize the source. You are standing before the Son of God incarnate and calling his work satanically inspired. That had to hurt. Verse 21, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when a one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. What he's saying there is, is that no one no one, no demon in all of hell is stronger than Christ. Satan's not, nor any of his demons. There is no other being in existence that is stronger than the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ gives a final illustration based on Isaiah 49, 24 through 25 that would certainly be understood by all that listened. He told a story of dominance and power, and at that time, right then while they were speaking, Israel was under complete dominance by a nation named what? Rome. Under complete dominance by a nation named Rome. They understood. 
They understood dominance. They understood oppression. They understood a lack of freedom. So Jesus helped them see this. Isaiah 49, 24 and 25 says, Can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. So Jesus is giving them a comparison, and he goes back to the two kingdoms. If a kingdom is divided, he, play, he, plays that, he plays that illustration all the way through. He says, the kingdom of Satan is represented by what he calls the strong man. Satan is the strong man, Satan fully armed with his soldiers, weapons, and armor. Well, Satan guards his palace. Well, who's the palace? The palace is the man that has been possessed by the demon. Satan is guarding him, has him oppressed, and his goods are safe. The man was completely dominated by Satan's soldiers, by satanic power. So then he says, one stronger than he, but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Who is the one stronger than he? Jesus. Jesus is the one stronger than he, attacks him and overcomes him. Jesus casting out the weaker army of Satan's soldiers from within the man's body. He takes away his armor in which he trusted. He disarms Satan's soldiers, therefore rendering them powerless against the man they once possessed. His armor is stripped away. Well, if you take away a soldier's armor, can he do very much to you? No. First thing they do when they catch a criminal, what do they do to him? Drop the gun! Drop the knife. They disarm him. Then he divides the spoil. The man has now been cleansed by the power of Christ and belongs to him. Satan no longer has claim to the man. The spoil in this case is the whole of salvation benefits, forgiveness, the spirit, his gifts, and most importantly, living eternally with the king forever and ever. Amen. And then finally, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. With regard to Jesus' struggle against the evil and demonic forces, and you need to really listen to this, no one can remain neutral or noncommittal. Did you hear that? With regard to Jesus' struggle against the evil and demonic forces, no one can remain neutral or noncommittal. Jesus, Jesus gathers the flock. What does Satan do? Scatters the flock. People must decide whether they will join Jesus in gathering it or serve Satan by scattering it. Did you hear that? When it comes to deciding about Jesus, there is no neutral zone, no neutral zone. There's no Switzerland's in spiritual battle, amen? None. And finally, the final question before we dismiss is, which kingdom do you wish to serve? Do you wish to serve the stronger kingdom where no one is stronger than Christ? Or do you wish to serve the kingdom that we know is led by a loser? Amen? It's just led by a loser. There's no two ways about it. He's going to lose. He's already lost. He's going to lose big. 
So do you want to win with Jesus? Or do you want to lose with Satan? Which kingdom do you want to serve? When you see Jesus and the miraculous powers that he wields, do you believe he is from God? Or do you believe he is from the evil one? The scripture is clear. Jesus Christ is of God, is the son of God, is the promised one who was to come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the clarity of your word. And power is a, is, is a big deal to people. Um, it just is. You can tell by the way people respond to discussion about it, who's gonna control things, who gets to make decisions. Power is a big deal. And Lord, I'm so thankful that we serve the one and only true God and your son, Jesus Christ, who wields your power to perfection. And that's where we wanna be. We don't wanna do anything outside the scope of your word that could do anything to hurt or scatter your church. Unless it's mission work, obviously. In that case, we have to scatter, but that's not what Jesus means here. He means a harmful form of scattering. He means a sinful form of scattering that happens because of satanic confusion. That's what he is against and that's what he stands against. Because we can't be divided, Lord. A kingdom divided will not stand as a household that is divided will not stand. Father, we wanna be unified with you and your son, Jesus. And I pray if there's anyone here today that has any question about that, that they would search their heart and commit their life to you wholeheartedly. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.